It's Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. All right. We're into it now. Green and Growing, hour number three. Hey, thanks for waking up with us. I know you have a busy weekend, so we appreciate you being here. you got to stay tuned for Dave Baker and the Home Fix-It show from 9 to noon as well. But, yeah, it's Easter weekend, and we started off the show talking about baby chicks and I thought that appropriate because a lot of parents decide to buy baby chicks for their kids at Easter but don't realize in just over a month that's going to become a full-grown chicken and then what do you do with it depending on where you live you may not be able to keep it so we may revisit my conversation with Heath Ward from City Chick ATL that was really fun at six o'clock and a lot of your good garden calls so I want to get right to those garden advice garden questions whatever you've got whatever you're working on we can even talk about birds and insects too 404 8720750 Eileen and is up first good morning Hey Ashley how are you thank you so much for taking my call Glad you I called. have a I have a weird issue so we have a fairly large backyard and we did have a rose bush that was sitting next to some Chinese hollies I I'm, I'm sure I, the ones that you were talking about before I'm not quite sure anyways it did have rose rosette so I had to dig it up get rid of it well, the next thing I started noticing is that my holly bush, the, the, the leaves started turning yellow. They start falling off. And the one next to it is now also infected with whatever is going on in my backyard. And I also had a wisteria die, too. And I'm just wondering, does rose rosette affect any other plants? Um, and <laughs> I think I'm going to have to take the hollies out. I, I'm, they're just... They're they're so infected they're too far gone. Now, how long have but you I wanted had to them? Make, I'm sorry. How long have you had the hollies? Um, I've had the hollies now for about seven years. Okay. And the wisteria I had for about twenty. So I am just shocked, first of all, that the wisteria died because they're so hardy. And the the hollies, it's a mystery to me. I've tried treating it with um, uh, an insecticide that you can get at Pikes. Um, went in there, showed them the plant. You know, we tried to figure out what was going on. I have no clue. But my question is whether or not rose rosette can affect other plants or is it only specifically for roses? So based on the research that I've seen, Eileen, since rose rosette has become such a big thing here in the last three to five years, it is a virus and it's carried by mites um, and it really does only affect rose Rose varieties. Yeah. Um, just the way it works, it works its way into the plant and all the way down to the roots, and then the roots become infected with the virus as well. And that's why we tell everybody, you know, cutting it back is not going to do any good once it's in the root yeah. system. The entire root ball, every piece of root that you can possibly get out, um, you need to. And then we recommend not replanting roses in that area. For that very reason, pieces of the root may linger behind, mm-hmm. and it's going to infect yeah. the new rose bush. But as far as the hollies, just one major cause of decline in an evergreen shrub like that is that it just got too dried out. Do you think that was the case? And it's not like it would have died this quickly, but, you know, thinking back into the winter time and things like that, did it just, do you think? No, it, you know, it's in a, it's in a, it, it no, I don't think it did. I, I, I don't think it did. And it's weird that it's gone from one bush to the one next to it. And we have more. And I just, I am concerned that it's just going to go through all of them. Um, I have, no, there's no way this got dried out. Okay. I, I, I just don't know what it could be. I don't even know. You know, I've tried researching what can uh, infect hollies, 
and I know there's some kind of like bowl or something like that that can grow on the end of the branches, but I, I just have no clue. Any well, ideas? <laughs> when you brought it to Pike, what was the consensus there? Was anyone because it well, doesn't sound like you have any kind of insect infestation, but did you actually see insects on it? No, no insects. Okay, and it's really weird because it's it it'll um, the the leaves turn yellow and then they turn brown and then they fall off, and the one looks like he's trying to come back, but it's just half the bush is green, the other half is there's like no leaves on it. I mean, it just is there's something very, very wrong. And I just I I like knocking my head up against the wall. The only thing I can think of is to take get it out. Yeah, I think so because it may be an issue with the soil. Um they yeah. do exhibit kind of like a leaf discoloration and then a leaf drop based on high pH. So have you ever had the yeah. soil tested in that area? No, maybe I need to do that. I, I think can do so, that. That's because no, in the wisteria is yeah. in the same area? No, the wisteria is oh. a, a little bit further away. But honestly, I thought the wisteria died only because it's been so, it's so old. I mean, it's, I've had it forever, so... Um, yeah, I and I wondered maybe... when you said the hollies were seven years old. I, I'm not quite sure of the lifespan. I know it seems like they're around forever and ever, but seven years is fairly young. So I would get a soil test, Eileen, just to make sure there's not something, you know, goodness knows what was on the property decades before, you know, you and your family landed on it. So it could be something going on in the soil. But when you do a soil test, the good thing about that, if, if you want just kind of an overall idea of that, is it's not all in the same bed, I understand, but if it's all maybe in the front yard or the side yard or something like that, you go around and get samples from various different spots in the yard and then mix all the samples together. And that kind of gives a good overview of what's going on. And you can kind of pinpoint what's, what's up with that. But high pH soils, hollies don't necessarily do as well. Um, but the good news there is, yeah, rose rosette. I'm glad you dug those out, got rid of those. That was number one. Um, but to my knowledge, it will not infect Hollies. But if anyone knows anything different, please feel free to call. Eileen, I appreciate your call and kind of report back. We'll see if, if anyone has any clues what's going on with the holly. I don't think it's an insect problem. I really don't. So we'll keep scratching our heads on that. Up next to Forsyth County we go and say good morning to Steve and Cumming. Welcome to the show. Good morning. Hey. I've got a question for you about muscadines or scuppernong or grapevines. Is it too late to trim them back. So are you seeing a uh, bud break? Are you seeing the new buds on the dormant canes yet? I did not see any the other day when I cleaned out from under them. Okay. I don't think you're too late then, but yeah, the, the pruning on the dormant canes definitely conducted between like when you see the dormant winter bud that's a little browner and the new bud break stage. That's ideally, and we're getting really, really late, but you being incoming may be okay. Um, look really carefully, and I would do minimal pruning if you do start to see some new buds, but I don't think you're too late there. All right. Well, thank you very much. I'm going to try to cut them back today. Yes, so important. I mean, muscadines have to be pruned, and you know that, Steve. You've got experience with them. So rewarding, though. But since muscadine fruit is born on new shoots that arise from last year's growth, you prune back the canes that grew the previous year's, and you only leave about three inches of growth to form spurs. Um, yeah, wintertime is ideal. But really, they say, rather than pruning in early winter, the longer you wait, the better. So that may be in your favor for sure. Um, the earlier in winter we prune, you do still subject 
things to, you know, winter freeze and, and damage from the cold. So the longer into late, late winter we wait. Um, and don't be alarmed if the vines kind of pl- bleed a little bit at pruning. Uh, bleeding, a little bit of that is not going to harm the vines as you're cutting those, Steve. So that is good news. Okay, up next, out to Tucker. Good morning, Peg. Thanks for calling the show. Good morning, Ashley. How are you? I am great, Peg. Good to hear from you. Happy Easter. Well, thank you. Same to you. I, I hope the bunny brings you wonderful things. I hope so, too. I hadn't even really thought about it. But, yeah, lots of money, <laughs> lots of chocolate. Okay. <laughs> uh, I'm calling about holly bushes. Mm-hmm. Um, I had one, and it was a volunteer. I mean, we had hollies there a long time ago. But uh, it came up just uh, all of a sudden, uh, oh, maybe three or four years ago. And this year I was using it in arrangements, and it, it and I looked at the leaves, and the back of the leaves were not green. They had some black stuff, almost looked like paint. It, it wasn't paint, but it, it dirt, I don't know. Um, and so I just cut the whole thing back. I didn't know what it was. So what that likely is, Peg, I think the way you describe it, is sooty mold. And sooty mold is literally, as gross as it is, the droppings from aphids. And when aphids get on our shrubs, they're sucking the honeydew or kind of the sap out of the leaves. And then that black is what they leave behind. Um, and that on the leaf surface, it does cause some damage because it's stifling the pores of the leaves. And oftentimes you will see it on the backsides. Um, it, it just cuts down on the amount of photosynthesis that's able to happen. So... When you, when you see aphids, then you know you're going to have sooty mold. Or when you see sooty mold, the black stuff, you know you've got aphids. So one way to control them when they become a problem is just use a hard stream of water from the garden hose. And that kind of knocks them out of place. And that's really one of the easiest ways to, to kind of keep them at bay if you notice them on any plant. But there are systemic insecticides that you could use as well. But I would start with the hose. I think that's going to be... The easiest and cheapest way to combat it. And you'll know because that mold, if you've got your garden glove on, that'll kind of come off on your on your fingers. So you'll know exactly what that is. And as far as like cutting holly bushes back, kind of like we talked with, with Glenn a little bit ago, evergreen hollies, which most of us are familiar with, you've got a pretty large window winter through spring and into summer. You can cut those. The only time you don't want to do any pruning, do an evergreen holly, is getting into the winter months like October, November, because of the chance of, you know, anytime we prune something, it's going to encourage new growth. So in the weeks to come after pruning it, you have all that new growth. But then when it gets super, super cold, it's going to zap the new growth. And that's why you'll see dead tips of branches on the shrubs and things like that. So if you can stay away from pruning evergreen holly in the wintertime, that's the only couple of months few months, three or four of the year that you don't want to prune. So, but no need to prune just to get rid of your problem, Peg. I would, I would be on the lookout for aphids and get ahead of them. Thanks for the call. We'll talk to T in Snellville here in just a little bit. A question about Zoysia Lawn, but first taking a break. We'll be back to Green and Growing on WSB. It has warmed up one degree 
since I came on the air at 6 o'clock. So it's now 36 degrees, but it is going to be warmer. Channel 2 Action News meteorologist Brad Nitt says mainly sunny, not as cool today. It's going to warm up to the low 60s for most of us. Lows tonight around 39, so still be mindful of some of those plants. But I think that chance of frost that we just had the last two nights, I think that's done. And then sunrise service for Easter Sunday. Tomorrow is going to be chilly, only topping out to around 40 degrees at that hour. Sunshine and a mild afternoon. Highs in the 70s. Your weather update brought to you by Finley Roofing. A few more minutes to go before the bottom of the hour here. Up next, T in Snellville. Hey, thanks for calling. Good morning, Ashley. Happy Easter. To you as well, my friend. How can I help you? Not too bad. Um, I have an issue with my zoysia lawn. Um, I noticed that it's greening up, but I noticed two distinct patches, circular patches, about five feet in diameter. Oh. I was wondering if there's something I should worry about. That large? Yes, it's about, I would say between three and five feet, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Okay, because my first thought during warm-up and as you're starting to mow, dollar spot is one of those that can occur on these warm season lawns like zoysia. Dollar spot doesn't tend to be that big, um, but that's kind of when nights are cool as they really have been here and the days are warmer. So kind of during that season transition like spring and like in the fall. Brown patch I'm sure you've heard of is very, very common in zoysia and Bermuda grass as well. That is larger areas of kind of just dead patches of grass, but that seems to be more of that fungus that comes alive and is prevalent when temperatures are warmer at night and during the day. So I'm kind of going between dollar spot and brown patch for you. Um, What you may want to do just to properly identify it, and I only tell you this, T, because I don't want you to spend money on fungicides and things like that if that's not really the problem because it could also if the if the areas aren't perfectly round like if they're just a little more of a kind of a skewed shape and all over I mean we could have something tunneling in the soil beneath um, that's pushing up those areas so step on the lawn and make sure there's no tunnels that are collapsing underneath your feet that would be indicative of moles or something like that but to properly identify make sure it is a disease and some kind of fungus, like I said, before you go treating it, and that's not really what we know what it is, go to that area kind of where the live grass, the one that's greening up, meets the areas that look dead. And that's the disease margin of where if we think there's a disease, that's where it kind of comes to a stop. So cut like a four by four inch square with some of the dead grass and some of the live. I would place that sample in a bag Uh, maybe a plastic bag, something that's sealed, and bring it to the county extension agent there in Gwinnett County and let them properly identify it because you're getting to it early if it is, in fact, brown patch or something like that. And best management practices, too, just to make sure that you're watering at the right times as we get warmer and warmer. We don't want to make an environment that's inviting to a fungus, right? So really watering in the early, early morning. That way it has the daytime to dry out. When we water in the evening, we're going to bed and the grass stays damp and that can bring on, and and the fungus kind of always lives in the soil from what I understand, but the stronger the grass, the better off you are in it being able to overcome something like that and proper fertilization and at the right time. And in zoysia lawns, they don't require a whole lot But fertilizing like late April, May is going to be your first application of a fertilizer. Of course, follow the label directions as far as how much you need. And then a fertilization as we're winding down the summertime, like August 
early September like that. So I would go ahead and call 1-800-ASK-UGA-1. 1-800-ASK-UGA-1 to put you in touch with the Gwinnett County Extension Office, T. And that may be something if you're going to be able to cut like a 4x4 area, let them have a look at it first. Let's make sure what it is. If it's not dollar spot, could be brown patch or something else going on in the lawn. I'm glad you called. Happy Easter, everybody. We'll be right back with Pike Nurseries to talk about fruit trees. I hope you're hungry. Stay tuned. Growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. All right, 30 minutes left to go, and I hope your Easter weekend is off to a great start. Thank you for joining me for just a little bit of it. Dave Baker and the Home Fix It Show up next from nine to noon. But yeah, we still got another half hour and a lot of ground to cover. So if you are just really starting to get excited about spring and you haven't made it out to the nurseries yet, but you're just green with envy about some of the plants that you know you might be missing out on, I would recommend that you follow Pike Nurseries on Facebook and on Instagram. They are sharing some gorgeous pictures of colorful flowers right now helping you determine which vegetables to grow. A lot of you are watching those seedlings coming along really well to get ready for your warm season crops and also fruit trees. Uh, you know, over the last course of the few weeks, as we've been transitioning into spring, that's a lot of those beautiful flowering trees that you've been seeing, different varieties of cherry, crab apple trees right now. Things are just looking gorgeous. So we want to delve in a little deeper and talk about fruit trees. And I have just the guy for you from Pike Nursery. I've got Preston from the store on Holcomb Bridge. Preston Dumont, the assistant manager there. Welcome to the show, your Green and Growing debut. Thank you, Ashley. It's, it's a pleasure to be here with you this morning. Yeah. So why are we talking fruit trees with you? Tell me about your background when it comes to this subject. So I, I studied horticulture at LSU. I received my diploma uh, back in May of 2020, and my concentration was actually in fruit, nut, and beverage production. Wow. Um, so it definitely holds a soft spot in my heart with fruit trees, and I do think that it's it's a great investment, a great home investment for somebody to make in their yard. And we can certainly overcome the frustrations and, you know, as long as we are educated enough about growing them and know the kind of problems that can arise and have the knowledge to, you know, get at those early and combat those, it is a very rewarding thing to do, isn't it? Yes, ma'am. And it is it is a longer term project. Uh, it's not something that you can expect immediate success with, but with, you know, the proper precautions taken and the right care steps and the right questions asked to people who know what's going on, you can be very successful and end up having um, smaller apple trees, pears, peaches, even figs. Figs are some of my favorites in this area. There's there's just a whole lot that you can do and be successful with for a longer period of time. Okay. So whether you're just starting out or whether you are one of the lucky few that maybe has moved into a new home in Metro Atlanta and you're like, oh my gosh, I've got fruit trees, but I have no idea what to do. If you were lucky enough to have someone have established those for you and then now you've got it and you need to learn about it, Preston's going to tell us a little bit. So first of all, you just named some of the fruit trees that do well in Georgia. Uh, plums and peaches can be kind of tricky though. Give us 
kind of a warning about what diseases and, you know, insect infestations we might be on the lookout for those in particular? So a lot of times on on those uh, stone fruits, the plums and peaches, you'll end up having a lot of fungus, especially in the south. Uh, typically, those kind of temperate fruits can be very susceptible to fungus in the summertime. Um, and in terms of insect, they, they can have a number of different insects throughout the summer. So it is pretty critical to have a good treatment plan and to stay on a schedule. And that'll maximize your yield, meaning your harvest. And that's really what it's all about, is trying to maximize that yield. And we have several products, one of which a, a bonide fruit and orchard spray that's safe to use throughout the harvest period. You can use it even the day before harvest. Um, and that's typically what I'll recommend to a lot of people that are just beginning and, and are not as familiar with a lot of the chemicals that are necessary. And that's a great one to get started with that can protect against insects and fungus. Yeah, insects or insecticides, you really have to be careful and not spraying them at the wrong times. But like you said, if that's safe for use up to harvest, and then of course we're going to harvest things, bring them in, wash them off, that kind of thing. So when folks leave the nursery with whether it's a blueberry bush or a fruit tree, they probably need to go ahead and invest in some of those sprays at the same time, right? Yes, ma'am, that's important. And I also would, would recommend uh, if you're bringing a fruit tree home, it's certainly important to, to make sure that you're amending the soil when you're doing this. It's very important for fruit trees to have drainage. The other thing that's important, too, is to have some kind of starter fertilizer when you plant them. And I even recommend to some of my customers to go ahead and bring home the fertilizer that you'll be applying twice a year for the tree, once in the early spring and once in the fall. If you've planted the tree with a starter fertilizer, it's not entirely necessary to fertilize again in the spring. Uh, I would I would wait until the fall, and that would be the next best time to do it. Okay, so if we just recently planted a fruit tree here in the last few months, if we didn't do starter fertilizer at the time, even though that tree is still brand new, this is a good time to establish a fertilizer routine? Yes, ma'am. This is a perfect time to get started with it. Being as the, the summer is a period of active growth and fruiting for a lot of these crops, it's important that they have the nutrients required for that process. Okay. And tell us what else we need. You said, you know, soil amenders, making sure you've got a nice wide hole for those to get started in and good drainage well, the, in the soil. What else? The most important is probably going to be water. Uh, the tools required. So, I mean, that involves pruning. You're going to need some pruners, maybe some loppers, uh, certainly a shovel. The planting fertilizer or the planting fertilizer, the starter fertilizer is very important to help the roots establish. The planting mix is going to help with soil drainage to help the roots kind of gain a foothold in the soil. Um, and we talked about the orchard spray. We also have some general conventional products. Um, such as eight, which is, is pretty safe to use. It will need to be rinsed off, but that can be used uh, throughout the process as well. Um, Funginil is another topical fungicide, which can be used but pretty much throughout the entirety of the summer. Where, okay. um, And I think that's that's about the basics that we can cover, I guess. Now, fungicide, is that systemic and it's applied on the ground or is it sprayed on the leaves? How does a fungicide work? 
So with fruit, it's very important that that you're not using systemic products that can get within the fruit. You typically want to use something that is a spray-on, something that's going to remain on the surface of the fruit and will be a contact killer for insects and for fungicide. Uh, You can use systemic in the off-season, and you can also use systemic insecticide in the off-season. But generally for for homeowners, I just recommend that they go with something that is – that is topical rather than systemic to kind of eliminate any any kind of possibility of, of contamination of the food. Yeah, once we've invested in this, we definitely don't want an oops moment like that. Um, and full sunlight, of course, you really need, you know, consider all the larger trees around the area. Make sure those new fruit trees are going to get enough sunlight. And talk to us about chill hours, Preston, because a lot of folks hear that, but they don't really know what that means. Obviously, it's nothing we have control over, but our location here in North Georgia's pretty good for that it really is a great temperate location so we we can host a lot of what is known as temperate fruit trees so i mentioned the apples and pears peaches plums so those are temperate fruit while we struggle to grow some of our more tropical fruit here such as the citrus bananas mangoes papaya coffee um, we really have a great environment to grow a lot of of our our temperate fruit um, the chilling hours aspect is, is very important to the health of the fruit. As you know, most of these trees are going to lose their leaves in the winter, and that's because of a buildup of abscisic acid in the plant. And so what the chilling hours does is it, it actually breaks down that portion or that, that uh, phytohormone within the plant, and it's going to allow them to resume their process at the end of dormancy. So the, the chilling hours are critical for the apple tree, pear tree, uh, peach tree, all of those temperate fruit to be able to escape the, their dormant period. Without proper chilling air, hours, they, uh, they really are not going to be nearly as successful. And as I mentioned, I got my education in Louisiana, which is considered to be subtropical. Mm-hmm. In Louisiana, they, they're not able to grow a lot of these temperate fruit while they have more success with your citrus, bananas, and other crops in the summertime. Yeah, I mean, here in Georgia, we get that that certain period of cold weather that's necessary in order for these fruit trees to bloom. And then, of course, the more blooms you have, you're going to, you know, see the fruit. Uh, Talk about maybe our first couple of years, you know, year two, year three, when we're getting a, a large yield of some of these fruits, Preston, thinning things out and how important that is. It's It's critical. Ashley, to be able to thin the fruit, you, you have to realize that the plant has limited energy. And if you're wanting to get apples in the size that you would see in a grocery store, you're going to have to remove some of the fruit so that the app, the tree is not dispersing its energy to 100 places. Let's say maybe if, you, if it's focusing on 25 or 50 fruit, it's going to be able to promote the growth of this significantly better than it would and i mean if if your choice is to have smaller fruit then you could certainly uh, reduce your thinning but if you're wanting to have a larger uh, round fruit then i would suggest thinning it and it's it's very important to prune the tree in a manner in which it can be thinned properly and so that the tree can support the weight of the fruit especially in, in the third plus year and that that to me is the most important thing um, is is really shaping the tree nicely so that it can bear the weight of the fruit. And we want 
you know, well, we don't want branches that cross over one another, crowd each other out. Do we want, I mean, it may be different from, you know, peach trees to apple and pear trees, but you tell me kind of the shape we're going for. Do we want it to grow out um, horizontally or do we want that big, nice, like wine glass, bulbous shape? What are we, what are we that's, ultimately that's going correct, for? That's correct, Ashley. You really do want that that uh, wine wine glass shape. That's a great description. So really it's considered to be a scaffold. You want to have one central trunk which will branch off generally in three or four main branches and those are going to go laterally generally apart from each other um, kind of just like you mentioned in a wine glass it's going to be a low spreading tree and then at that point they force the tree upward i like to tell all my customers that it's important not to let the tree to get taller than you are you don't want to be on a ladder having to pick apples in, in the summer sun it um you really want to be able to reach the, the highest branch of this tree. It's critical also to make sure that the tree has an open center. That'll help with air movement through the tree, which will assist with pollination, as well as with uh, its ability to resist disease. If there's lots of air movement through the tree, that will really help it out. Yeah, see, these are things that we can control ultimately, and then once you leave it in a good position, the tree can kind of take care of itself. I'm talking to Preston from the Holcomb Bridge Pike Nurseries. Well, give us a couple of, you know, I know Pike Nursery has in stock the varieties that are best for our areas, but what are some of the names of common apple trees that folks like to do and do well with? Well, a lot of the apple trees people are really familiar with because it's the same same name that you would pick up in a grocery store. So we carry a lot, Gala, Fuji, Yellow Delicious. Uh, my personal favorite is Pink Lady. Mm. But it's it's very important to remember when you're picking your varieties of fruit, uh, it's very critical to make sure that they can cross-pollinate each other. Some fruit, like the peaches, are self-fertile, meaning that they can fruit all by, them, by their lonesome, although they will increase the yield if they're if they have a pollination partner. But fruit like apple and pear, they are not able to fruit without having a, a pollination partner. So do you get two of the same variety side by side, or you do like one yellow delicious and one gala? It, it really will depend. The important part is the that the bloom period is the same. Okay. Some fruit are actually able to cross of the same variety, but others are not. Um, and maybe because they're too similar and would result in a sterile product or something along the lines of that. But of that, I'm not quite sure. I just know that some are able to cross with the same variety and some are not. And blooming at the same time, that makes sense because the bees and the pollinators are out and about, so they want to be transferring the pollen from one to another. Well, uh, Pike Nursery has everything you need for all of this. Preston mentioned pruners and loppers and the home orchard sprays and things like that, even the soil amendments that you can really use to get started in that hole. And if you go to extension.uga.edu, our extension service through the University of Georgia has great publications on pruning. It does not need to be an intimidating process. Kind of some of the shapes that Preston mentioned, sizes that you're going for. Um, you can look at those diagrams and really help yourself along in years one, two, and three to really train that tree to be the right shape. Well, Preston, where do we even get started if we're not making it to a nursery today, but finding you online, scoping out some other information? How do we do that? Well, you can find us on our website, pikenursery.com. And if you need to find me in particular, you can go on the store locator and you'll find me at the Holcomb Bridge store, store 19. But there's people just like me at all of our stores that are 
very helpful and knowledgeable about fruit. Absolutely. And we've talked to a good many of you that are so wonderful to share your knowledge. Well, Preston, it's it's been a pleasure, and I'm really glad you made your first debut, and it will certainly not be your last here on the show well, with me. And by the way, are y'all open tomorrow for Easter Sunday? Yes, ma'am, we are. We'll be closing early at about 5 o'clock. Okay, okay. But see, guys, make it out today. Tomorrow it's going to be beautiful days to be at the nursery. My thanks to you, Preston. You did a great job, and we'll certainly be talking to you again. Thank you for having me, Ashley. Have a nice rest of your day. You too. See, so encouraging, folks. Fruit trees, you can do it, and you'll be really happy with the results. 851, wrapping up Green and Growing here on WSB. If you're hitting the road this morning, please be safe out there. Have a really enjoyable, lovely spring break. All of you families deserve it. Thanks to all the teachers who are enjoying a nice break as well. Finley Roofing sponsors the weather update today. High of 63. Tomorrow, Easter Sunday, it's going to be around 70, but chilly for those sunrise services. So dress the family up warm. I appreciate all of my guests. Some of the websites we mentioned, pikenursery.com. I had Heath Ward from CityChickATL.com on in the first hour. You want to go back and listen to that on WSBRadio.com on demand. That first hour, if you're thinking about getting the kids a baby chick for Easter, you may want to think again. It's a cute idea, but uh, taking care of chickens and just what you need to be well-equipped for that. And also extension.uga.edu, the University of Georgia Extension Service. Uh, I directed you there for pruning fruit trees. Also turf grass diseases. Finding resources like that are invaluable this time of year when you have a lot of questions about things in the garden. Happy Easter, everybody. I'll be back and talk with you Monday. Channel 2 Action News this morning doing triple team traffic in for Mark Aram. Take care. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.